This is a GRDC podcast. For some time now, GRDC has funded a series of workshops for growers and advisors on the changed label requirements for the use of 2,4-D chemistries. I went along to one of those workshops at Elmore in northern Victoria. This workshop was facilitated by the Birchip Cropping Group, where spray expert Bill Gordon took participants through those changes and, importantly, how they can be best managed to ensure a good spray job is done. I got the chance to have a chat with Bill following the workshop, and I began by asking him to remind us about what had prompted the new rules. I think the APVMA have been reviewing Group I products, including 2,4-D, for a long period of time, but in recent seasons we've seen an increase in the damage off target on some sensitive crops. And that's occurred in, say, in South Australia, in particular on the grapes, but throughout Victoria we've seen damage to processing tomatoes and other hawk crops. And in the more than northern areas, a lot of damage on the broadleaf summer crops like cotton. OK, let's have a look at those label changes. The main thing, I suppose, or the very first thing, is that the droplet size has changed. Yeah, traditionally we had a requirement for a course to very coarse spray quality, or some label said coarse or larger. But the new label mandates that there must be very coarse spray quality all year round, and so that's a mandatory legal requirement. But there's also an advisory statement which says use an extremely coarse or an ultra-coarse, so they're bigger again, over summer between the 1st of October and the 15th of April in areas where sensitive crops are grown. So what's the difference between an extremely coarse and an ultra-coarse? And a coarse, a very coarse? The way the spray quality classification system works is they compare them to standard reference nozzles. But as you go bigger, as a rough rule of thumb from a drift point of view, each time you go to a larger one, you halve that drift potential. So starting with a coarse, the worst case was always about 10% of the volume you could put out could exist as small droplets could move, and typically that might have been 6 to 8 but if we went to a very coarse and we'd halve that to less than five, go to an extremely coarse, you'd less than three, and an ultra coarse, you're almost down under one percent. That could even get in the air. So that that minor change, a very coarse should at least halve the drift, and extremely coarse it could take eighty percent of that product out of the air. So that's why they're aiming to make a difference by cutting down the drift that could occur. And have these been common nozzles in common use in Australia, the extremely coarse and the ultra-coarse? In some areas, yeah. So I'm from the Darling Downs and we sort of initiated the use of, I think, the extremely coarse, probably 10 years back or more, to try and minimise drift incidents there. But in the rest of the country, not so much. I think it's a new thing for a lot of people to go to these bigger droplets. And so it's, it's a matter of trying to convince people that they will work because there's always some scepticism. But I think the same scepticism is just when they shifted from their mediums to their courses as well. And people were surprised how well they worked. And I think they might find the same thing again. We'll touch on that in a little while. Let's finish off with the label changes. The buffer zones have increased, is that right? They're a new thing on label, so we're talking about a, a downwind no spray zone or when the wind is blowing towards a sensitive area, and in this case it's terrestrial vegetation, which could be sensitive crops or trees or landscaping, those type of things, as well as aquatic areas. So if the wind was blowing towards them, you'd have to leave an unsprayed area. With most common rates of 2-4 day over summer, that's probably around 30 to 50 metres in size, so it's not prohibitive. It's just that extra step to help you reduce or minimise what could happen or move downwind. I imagine 
a lot of the trouble that's been caused that you've mentioned earlier has been a result of spraying at night time. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of people underestimate just how far things can go at night. When we're spraying during daytime conditions, you tend to get the air mixing or rolling a lot more across the surface. We tend to call that turbulent, and that's what actually brings droplets back down. And so during the day, that 3 to 15 kilometre an hour wind speed is generally pretty safe for bringing droplets back down, predicting a bit of a buffer. But when you get into the nighttime situation, quite often surface temperature inversions form overnight and will do on most nights unless you've got really strong wind. And so nighttime wind speeds need to be a lot higher to generate turbulence. During the day, the heat coming into the ground helps generate that mixing. So at three or four kilometres an hour wind speed, you can get the, the wind rolling across the surface to bring it down. But at night, it tends to be at least 11 to 12 kilometres an hour before that happens. Otherwise, it moves more parallel to the ground. It's like visualising or imagining plywood, the layers of air moving across the surface. If we put spray up into that, quite often it'll stay up there and move big distances. And we have no control over what happens. The label warns about surface temperature inversions. It gives really clear instructions about the sorts of clues that people might see but it's very difficult to actually predict and pinpoint exactly when they'll form or when they'll break down. So our advice is, is to avoid spraying during those times altogether. So avoid spraying at night during the summertime? I think it probably holds true for winter too, but in summer there's always a push to get things done and it may be hotter during the day, but the risk of spraying at night far outweighs the benefits I think you get during the day, particularly if plants aren't stressed. So we're going to need to learn to recognise how we can maximise that time during the day, increase our efficiencies through things like mixing and filling operations and trying to make the most of the times when it is safe to spray and we can predict what the outcome's going to be. Okay, just finishing up on the inversion layers. So if the wind drops at the end of the day at sunset, can you basically assume there's going to be an inversion layer that night? Well, I think if your wind speed's dropped around sunset, you already have an inversion present that's cutting you off from your weather pattern wind. So we know it's going to be present just from that. But if the wind picks up again during the evening, you know, if it was the same as the weather pattern wind and it was quite strong for a period of time, it may mix the air enough. But quite often the wind direction at night is different to what it was during the day because it's a local effect. And when it's that local effect, you know, it's probably going to be more parallel to the ground or laminar. It's not going to be mixing. And so the nighttime spraying, it's very hard to say when a safe time will be. The only thing I could suggest is that if you had higher wind speeds that blew through sunset into the early evening, well, there's still a bit of warmth, it's probably much safer then than as you get later at night and the ground cools significantly because the inversions are going to get stronger and stronger overnight and those hours leading up to sunrise until it breaks just after are probably the most dangerous times for leaving stuff in the air. Okay, well, let's look at the efficacy of these larger nozzles or coarser nozzles. As you mentioned, they may be fairly new to some people, so it's going to be a bit of a change for them. How should they manage that change? What should they be looking for? One of the things we've recommended or is recommended on the label is to start at a minimum volume around 70 litres. I think that's really important, particularly if you've got a bit of stubble. But as we increase water volumes, there's a whole heap of things that brings into play, making sure our water quality is right, thinking about the sorts of adjuvants we may put in there, um, particularly with some of the larger droplets onto harder to wet weeds, that can be uh, particularly important. 
And for a lot of people, they may not be used to having a look at what their coverage is doing. In other words, getting something like water-sensitive paper and placing it out, particularly in the base of the standing stubble, and seeing if they're actually getting the coverage that they require there. So there's a chapter in the GRDC Grow Note for on-spray application which deals with assessing coverage. You can have a look on the GRDC website or just Google GRDC Grow Note. And there's a lot of useful different modules on that, but there's one specifically on, on assessing spray coverage. And I always say to people, just have a look at the coverage, particularly the percent coverage you're getting on the cards, and say, is it better or worse than what I was doing before? Because from an efficacy point of view, in other words, how well the product works, They've got enough data over enough situations to say that even extremely coarse work really well. And when they don't work, you need to know why. And that's running through that list of saying, was the coverage good enough? Was there enough water? Did I have the right tank mix? Were the products robust? Did I take care of water quality? Were they the right adjuvants? before I say the nozzle didn't work. <laughs> yeah, look, sitting up at the back of the room today, Bill, one of the things that seemed to come through to me was the pressure is very important as well in that whole equation. Did I get that right? I think you did. One of the things in producing the nozzle charts, so the GRDC 2019 version of our nozzle selection guides out, and with the change to very coarse, it, it's simple to look down the chart and find a very coarse in some of the low-pressure air inductions, like might be a T-Jet AIXR or an air mix, and say, I'll just go to a, an O3 and run it at a 2.5 bar. But with any air induction nozzle, part of the reason why they work is because you push enough pressure through to get the venturi and the air induction happening, and that affects a number of things if you don't put the pressure in there. So the fan pattern will tend to collapse and you don't get the same sort of velocity and push out of the droplets and that reduces your penetration to stubble a lot. We've tried to emphasise maybe people considering the higher pressure air inductions which need to be run a little bit higher, often around you know, that four or five bar ideally, but they give a nice pattern and they get us into that very coarse at a pressure the nozzle's meant to be run at. Most of the low pressure nozzles Low-pressure air inductions really don't run well at the low pressures to get very coarse. So they're the wrong type of nozzle for that type of droplet size. Finishing off then, Bill, what are your major calls to action, I suppose, for growers? I think the first thing is for anyone that's doing summer fallow spraying, particularly using 2,4-D specifically, need to be compliant with the label. We need to get everyone to change nozzles to be at least very coarse and ideally in those sensitive areas follow that advisory statement to use an extremely coarse or larger. And I'd say to everyone don't be afraid of the bigger droplets they work really really well if you have an issue don't blame the nozzle or the droplets think about the job you've done and what might have contributed to that and if you're still in doubt go out and measure some coverage side by side with the two difference and you might realise that they're still doing a really really good job so in terms of nozzles that's, that's one part of it the other thing's about when we spray in those conditions. We just don't have good enough information to say when it is or it isn't safe at night and the best thing to do is not to spray then, especially with the group eyes over summer wherever they're sensitive crops. I just wouldn't do it. Agricultural spray expert Bill Gordon talking to me about the changes to the 2,4-D label and just how they might be best managed. 